We pursue the God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. We do this with one another. Through worship, by the word, to the world. Well, tonight I'm giving a message that I've titled Little Blue Checkmark. Little blue check mark. That sounds kind of obscure. It sounds kind of strange, but it comes to you. There's this thing. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's called the internet. All right. And there's this app on it called Instagram. And if you get on Instagram and you, and you see, you know, somebody on there, you want to follow somebody who's jacked like Hugh Jackman, or you want to follow some hottie with a body like Chris Hemsworth, or you want to see what Selena Gomez ate for breakfast, you can just get on Instagram. But here's the thing. When you go to follow their account, you can't just click on any account. You have to click on the verified account. You have to say it with me, have to click on the one with the little blue check mark. The little blue check mark. Because if you click on the wrong one, it could be a disaster. You could see things that Selena Gomez would never say. You could watch things that Chris Hemsworth would never do, things that he would never post. And what I want to ask you tonight is I want to ask you, are you following the verified account? Are you following the account with the little blue check mark? Are you following the real Jesus or are you following a fraud? And that's what we see here in 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 4, saying there's other accounts out there. There are imposter accounts out there all around. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. We're just going to look at one verse, and I'll bring in some context for you. It says, if he who comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. All right, I'll give you a little previously on Corinthians. A little previously on Corinthians. Uh, Paul started a church in Corinth, and it was a crazy town. It was a wild place. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And uh, basically, the church in Corinth was the church gone wild. They were doing stuff worse than what's on an HBO TV show. Okay, they were getting crazy up in Corinth. And Paul had written them one letter, and he'd actually visited them, and they repented, but now he writes them a second letter uh, addressing another danger because there's false teachers who've crept in and they're bringing in a perverted gospel and a counterfeit Christ. And so what he says in verse 2 is he says, to trust in anything other than Jesus is basically like having an affair the night before your wedding. To trust in anything other than Jesus is like having an affair the night before your wedding. Use a different metaphor to use sneaker heads out there. When you get a pair of Nikes, you don't want the knockoff Nikes. You, you want the genuine Jordans. We're talking about brand loyalty here. You don't want the knockoff Nikes. You want the genuine Jordans. And there's a lot of imposters out there. There's a lot of counterfeits out there. It's just like raisin cookies. You ever try to eat a raisin cookie thinking it was a chocolate chip cookie? You feel so betrayed. Raisin cookies are the false prophets of the cookie world. And that's what it's like. That's, that's exactly what's going on here. But we got to realize this. If a church that Paul started can compromise the gospel, anyone can compromise the gospel. If a church that Paul started can compromise the gospel, anyone can compromise the gospel. And I want you to lean in tonight and pay attention. There's a historian by the name of Daniel J. Borstein, and he says, Daniel J. Borstein says, that the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. The greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. In other words, the problem isn't what you don't know. The problem is what you think you already know. The problem isn't what you don't know. The problem is what you think you already know. I, I do a little photography on the side. 
And sometimes there will be something beautiful taking place. Something gorgeous that I want to capture. Or my daughter doing something that's so cute. Or my son lion doing something that's so hilarious. But I'll go to take the picture and it'll say, cannot take photo, protect switch is on. Cannot take photo, protect switch is on. Because there's these little SD cards and these SD cards have a little switch on it that makes it so you can't write any new information, you can't delete your old pictures, and you can't take any new pictures. Well, some of us have the right protect switch on on our hearts. To put it another way, some of us have our hearts on airplane mode. And there might be messages coming in, and there might be calls coming your way, but you're never going to receive God's calls. You're never going to get God's message as long as your heart is on airplane mode. No one can help the person who doesn't think they need any. No one can teach something to the person who thinks they know everything. And if I'm being honest, I mean, I grew up in this church. I heard the gospel from the time I was a fetus, okay? I heard the gospel in utero. I I knew the gospel. And as I grew up, as I grew up in this church, I started having this attitude going, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead, the gospel. Don't tell me that. I want to hear the deep stuff. Tell me the deep truths of the word. But I had this realization as I grew in Christ. I realized this. It doesn't get any deeper than the gospel. The gospel is as deep as it gets. Alexander McLaren put it like this. He said, Christian progress does not consist in seeing new things, but in seeing old things more clearly. The same Christ, the same cross, only more distinctly and deeply apprehended and more closely incorporated into my very being. We don't grow away from him. We grow into the knowledge of him. The first lesson that we get is the last lesson we shall learn. He's the alpha and the omega. You see, it's not just non-Christians and new Christians who need the gospel. All Christians need the gospel. It's not just non-Christians and new Christians who need the gospel. All Christians need the gospel. The way Tim Keller puts it is he says that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. And I don't think that we've caught the genius of grace. I don't think we've really apprehended the genius of grace. It's kind of like Inception. You see, what a brain buster. You can't watch Inception, Inception once. You've got to watch it again. You've got to see that thing again. You've got to watch it twice. And the more you see it, the more you'll see in it. The more you see it, the more you'll see in it. See, we know the gospel intellectually, but it doesn't change our lives. What we need to do is we need to not just know the gospel intellectually, we need to know it intuitively. We know the gospel enough for it to be our message. We need to know it until it becomes our very nature. And that's when it will really transform everything. When Paul writes writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, he talks about how Peter was being a racist and a hypocrite. But Paul doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you're breaking rule number 47. You're breaking rule number 58. You're not supposed to be a hypocrite. You're not supposed to be a racist. What does he say? In Galatians 2.14, he says, I rebuked them because they were not living in line with the gospel. You see, the gospel, when it comes into your life, it sends out shockwaves that affects every arena of life. And when you think out the implications of the gospel in every area, it changes everything. But I got to tell you something. If Peter can live out a line with the gospel, we can live out a line with the gospel. And that's what we need to learn and pay close attention to this evening. So the first thought I'm going to bring to your attention is, is this. And it will hopefully help you. Maybe you don't even believe in God. I hope that this is a church where skeptics feel welcome. I hope that this is a church where you could bring your atheist friend. I hope that this is a church where even if you don't believe... You can still belong. That's the kind of environment that Jesus created. That's the kind of environment we want to create. But this will hopefully help you if you are a bit of a skeptic, if you are a bit of a cynic. 
First thought is this. Don't let fake Christians keep you from the real Christ. Don't let fake Christians keep you from the real Christ. I was watching this TV series about the Branch Davidians, about the Branch Davidians and about David Koresh. And uh, it took place in a little town called Waco, Texas. I mean, Waco, Texas. I mean, Waco, Texas. Ah, what's the difference? But in this series, you see him and you see all the, all the polygamy and all the, the craziness and all the manipulation and him saying that he's another Messiah and all, and all of the rest and all, and, and, and the horrible tragedy that took place there. And that's just one thing on the list. That's just one grievance done in the name of Jesus that people can trot out before us. What about the Inquisition? What about the Crusades? What about the priests who are pedophiles? What about the pastors who sleep with prostitutes and fly on private jets? What about this? What about that? What about all the injustice committed in the name of Jesus? And this should be a warning to us who are Christians. Satan knows the best way to get people to hate God is to get the people who claim to love God to act nothing like him. Satan knows the best way to get people to hate God is to get the people who claim to love God to act nothing like him. Now, now our Christian lives, when we really come down to it, we're either going to be an excuse for people to reject Jesus or evidence for people to accept Jesus. Your life is either going to be an excuse for people to reject Jesus or evidence for people to accept Jesus. But let's say that you aren't a Christian here. Let's say you're here and you don't believe in God and you, you, you haven't trusted in Jesus. Well, I want to tell you there's a difference between what's committed in Jesus' name and what's commanded in Jesus' word. There's a difference between what's committed in Jesus' name and what's commanded in Jesus' word. Maybe for you it's not the Crusades or something far off and ancient like that. Maybe for you it's something more personal. You say, I can't believe in Jesus because I've been hurt by religious people. I can't believe in Jesus because I've been wounded by religious people. I can't believe in Jesus because I've been burnt by religious people. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus was hurt by religious people. Jesus was killed by religious people. He knows your pain. It was the Roman legions that were complicit in the death of Jesus, but it was the religious leaders who conspired to murder Jesus. Jesus was killed by religious people. And the best way, the best way to stick it to the fakes is to get real. The best way to stick it to the fakes is to get real. You know, something that's actually happened to Pastor Skip is people have impersonated him on Instagram. They've impersonated him on Twitter, created an account with one of his photos, Skip Heitzig, like with the E missing from the name or something like that. And they've messaged people asking them for money. Saying, oh, praise the Lord, brother. It's so great to hear from you today. Hallelujah. If you just send me some money. But here's the deal. What you got to do is you got to block the imposters and follow the real thing. You got to look for the little blue check mark. Look for the real Jesus. Don't let fake Christians keep you from the real Christ. Jesus put it like, yeah, we could, we could clap for that. Heck yeah. Matthew 17, 15, Jesus says this, watch out, watch out who false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit. You will recognize them. You can't reject Jesus because of wolves in sheep's clothing. When he warned you, there was going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. You can't reject the shepherd because of the wolves in sheep's clothing. Otherwise, then the wolves win. That's what the wolves want. They want you to reject the shepherd. But look for the little blue check mark. Block the imposters and follow the real thing. So don't let the fakes keep you from the real Christ. The next thought is fakes do the right thing 
for the wrong reasons. Fakes do the right things for the wrong reason. He continues on in 2 Corinthians 11, and he says this in verse 13, Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, because Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if some of his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. There are people who pretend they're serving God, but they're really serving themselves. Well, what are they really doing for them? They pretend like it's about God. Really, it's all about the Benjamins. All about the Benjamins. It's about the money, serving themselves. Not just about money. It could be about pride. It could be about ego. But what Paul lays out in so much of 2 Corinthians is he makes it abundantly clear that his motive wasn't money. That his motive wasn't glory. That his motive was love. And he makes it abundantly clear because motives matter. Motives matter. Essentially what this this whole chapter 11 teaches us is this. There are two ways to sin. There are two ways to sin. There's an obvious way and there's a devious way. The obvious way is to do wrong things. The obvious way is to do wrong things. The devious way is to do right things for wrong reasons. You can do wrong things or you can do right things for wrong reasons. God doesn't just care about your actions. He cares about your motivations. God doesn't care just about what you do. He cares about why you do it. God doesn't just care about behavior change. He cares about heart change. God doesn't just care about behavior change. He cares about heart change. And uh, in, in verse 3, he goes back to the Garden of Eden. He talks about uh, the serpent deceiving Eve and, and, he, and through his craftiness, that crafty serpent, that crafty devil. But the way that the serpent deceived Eve was through half-truths. The way that the serpent deceived Eve was through half-truths. The most dangerous lies have enough truth mixed into them to make them convincing. The most dangerous lies have half-truths mixed in with them to make them convincing. Basically, the entire New... You want to understand the whole New Testament, essentially? What the majority of the New Testament is doing is it's addressing two different half-truths. Basically, the entire New Testament is addressing two different half-truths. One goes by the name of legalism. Legalism. The Bible addresses legalism. The other half-truth is liberalism. Legalism says... Well, actually, I'll start with liberalism. Liberalism says, God loves me. I can do what I want. Liberalism says, God loves me. I can do what I want. But legalism says, God will only love me if I do what he wants. Or maybe I should do it more like this. God will only love me. God will only love me. God will only love me if I do what he wants. Legalism, liberalism. Liberalism says, God loves me. I can do whatever I want. Liberalism says, God will only love me if I do what he wants. But the gospel says, God will always love me. And that makes me want what he wants. God will always love me, but that makes me want what he wants. But here's the thing. Most people who've rejected Christianity have radically inaccurate ideas about what it teaches. Most people who've rejected Christianity, I'm talking about your coworkers, I'm talking about your cousins, I'm talking about your neighbor, most people who've rejected Christianity have radically inaccurate ideas about it, what it teaches. Listen to what the famous atheist Richard Dawkins says. Do you really mean to tell me the only reason you try to be good is to gain God's approval and reward or to avoid his disapproval and punishment? That's not morality. That's sucking up. Apple polishing, looking over your shoulder at the great surveillance camera in the sky or the still small wiretap inside your head, monitoring your every move, your every base thought. Do you realize that Richard Dawkins is right? 
you realize that Richard Dawkins is, is right? If you're serving God to avoid going to hell, you're not serving God. You're trying to save yourself. If you're serving God to avoid going to hell, you aren't serving God. You're trying to save yourself. If the only reason why you serve people is to be seen by people, you're using people. If the only reason you serve people is to be seen by people, you're using people. You know, I, I've been the guy, man, lifting my hands in worship, hoping the girl next to me notices. I've been that guy. And he's absolutely right. If you only do good to look good, you're not good. If you only do good to look good, you're not good. But Richard Dawkins doesn't understand the gospel. Richard Dawkins doesn't understand the gospel. Ephesians 2.10, or excuse me, a few, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2.9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Every religion in the world says that it's something you achieve. But the gospel is a gift that you receive. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Every religion in the world is something you achieve. The gospel is a gift that you receive. Think about the five pillars of Islam. You keep the five pillars of Islam. You, 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 you know, give alms. You, you pray the Shahada. You, uh, you make your pilgrimage to Mecca. You fast. You keep the feast of Ramadan. You go to paradise. You think of, of Judaism. You keep the 613 laws of the Pentateuch, and you're good to go. You think about Buddhism. You keep the four noble truths and the eightfold path, and, and you can achieve enlightenment. And every religion teaches that. I mean, talking about false Jesuses, by the way, the book of Second uh, Nephi in the, in the Mormon Bible says that we're saved by grace after all we do. After all that we can do. It's something you achieve. It's something that you achieve. It's works. Want to know what the word karma means? The word karma is a Sanskrit word. It means deeds. The word karma literally means deeds. But the gospel comes along and it says this. Salvation is not something you achieve. It is a gift you receive. You are not saved by your merit. You are saved by God's mercy. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus did. You're not saved by your perfect performance. You're saved by Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And the gospel is the only thing that can transform our motives. Because I don't obey so that I won't go to hell. I obey because Jesus took my hell. I don't obey to prove that I'm good. I obey because I believe God is good. And it changes everything. And there's nothing like it in this world. It transforms our motives, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Works leads to pride. Grace leads to praise. Works leads to pride. Grace leads to praise. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, this guy rhymes a lot. He rhymes a lot. A lot. Well, here's the deal. I'm not gangster enough to be a rapper. I'm not emo enough to do spoken words. I became a pastor. Somebody told me once, oh, yeah, it must be true because it rhymes. No, it's true because it's biblical. It rhymes because it's memorable. But here's something really troubling. The Barna Group did a research, uh, did a study, and they discovered this statistic. 63% of Christians believe it may be possible to earn salvation through their deeds. 63% of Christians believe it may be possible to earn salvation through their deeds. If Christians don't even know the gospel, how are we going to take it to the world? And what a lot of people believe is they believe like that TV show with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell, The Good Place. I don't know if you've heard it. It's a pretty popular TV show. Season one's on Netflix. But this is the description from the website of what the TV show The Good Place is about. The Good Place is a town where those who have been good throughout their lives go when they've passed away. 
Eleanor, that's Kristen Bell, chick from Frozen. Eleanor has to learn to earn a spot in the good place. That's the description. That's the description for the TV show. But here, here's, here's what you need to realize. As long as you're trying to make your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, all of your deeds will have bad motives. As long as you're trying to make your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, all of your deeds will have bad motives. But the gospel transforms our motives. Think about it. If selfishness is our biggest problem, self-righteousness can't be the solution. If selfishness is our biggest problem, self-righteousness can't be the solution. Doing right things for the wrong reason is actually more dangerous than doing wrong things. Doing right things for the wrong reason is actually more dangerous than doing wrong things because you won't even realize it. Do you understand that the Pharisees read the right Bible, prayed the right prayers, went to the right temple, and then murdered the Son of God? They prayed the right prayers, they went to the right temple, they read the right Bible, and they murdered the Son of God. What could make moral, religious, God-fearing people kill an innocent man? They were never serving God. They were always serving self. And if you try to obey the Bible without remembering the gospel, you'll just become a better and better Pharisee. If you try to obey the Bible without remembering the gospel, you will just become a better and better Pharisee. So don't let the fakes keep you from the real Christ. Fakes do the right things for the wrong reasons. Next is this. Why you do something affects the way you do something. Why you do something affects the way you do something. You might be asking, why should I care, Jesse? Why should I care? That's, that's, all, that's all fine, but morals are so slippery. Moti- I mean, motives are so slippery. Motives are, are so, oh, they're so hard to understand. Whatever, Jesse. Be practical. Let's just get practical. Let's be practical. I had a lady when I worked up in Portland say to me this, I don't care what you believe. I only care how you behave. I don't care what you believe. I only care how you behave. But here's the thing. What you believe affects how you behave. Why you do something affects the way you do something. Why you do something affects the way you do something. If you think you're saved by how good you are, you think, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I, or I'm going to go to some after like I'm a good person. I'm just, I'm just a moral person. I don't even believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I'm just a good person. But here's the fact. If you're saved by what you do, it's all about you. And it leads to two things. It leads to either superiority or anxiety. Superiority or anxiety. Uh, anxiety says, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't read my Bible enough. I haven't prayed enough. I looked at porn last night. Now God hates me. Now God doesn't love me anymore. I, 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 I went to this wrong place. I haven't done enough. I haven't, I, I'm not as good as them. I haven't done enough. That's what anxiety says. And if you think you're saved by how good you are, you're always going to be full of anxiety. Or you're going to be filled with superiority. If anxiety says, I haven't done enough, superiority says, I've done more than them. I've done more than them. I'm not like those people. I would never do that. I would never watch that. How could they do that? Superiority says, I've done more than them. You go, I'm clean and they're dirty. And I'm righteous and they're unrighteous. And I'm good and they're bad. And it fills you with superiority. You're either going to be full of anxiety or superiority. Here's the thing. If you're saved by what you do, there's always someone who's done less than you for you to look down on. If you're saved by what you do, there's always someone who's done less than you for you to look down on. And it's not just that. What's amazing about the gospel is I'm not saved by how much I know. 
I'm saved by who I know. Don't, don't, haven't you met the guy who's like, who knows all the Bible verses and quotes them backwards and forwards and he understands the doctrines of grace and he understands this. If you're saved by how much you know, there's always someone who knows less than you for you to look down on. But we're not saved by how much we know. We're saved by who we know. And we're not, and, and, and so it'll fill you with superiority or it'll fill you with anxiety. In other words, You'll be miserable, and you'll make everyone around you miserable. That's what works will do. You'll be miserable, and you'll make everyone around you miserable. If you think you're better than people, it's easy to abuse people. If you think you're better than people, it's easy to abuse people. But the gospel comes in and tells us this. We've all done right things for wrong reasons. And we've all done wrong things for no reason. We've all done right things for wrong reasons, and we've all done wrong things for no reason. And and the gospel doesn't come in and say, when you understand it, you don't go, I'm right, and you're wrong. You go, we're all wrong, but Jesus can make us right. We're all wrong, but Jesus can make us right. I'm not better than anybody. I know Jesus wants to save everybody. I'm not better than anybody, but I know Jesus wants to save everybody. And if our church is based on grace, it'll be a safe place to say you're a sinner. If our church is based on grace, it'll be a safe place. It'll be a safe place for people to fail. It'll be an environment where people fail and we say, hey, we love you. You can get back up. It's okay. You're still one of us. You're loved by God. You're chosen by God. He doesn't love you any less. It'll be a safe place to fail. It'll be a place where people run to when they fall instead of running away from when they fall. The church will be a place people run to when they fall rather than running away from when they fall. Works leads to superiority and anxiety. But grace leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what grace does. You trade in superiority and anxiety for love. And Paul says in chapter 11, verse 11, that his motive was love. He says, don't you know that I love you? That's what he exclaims in the middle of this chapter. Love is the little blue check mark. Love is the little blue check mark. What did Jesus teach us? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you're busy trying to prove that you're good, you don't have any time to love God or people. When you're busy trying to prove yourself, you don't have any time to love God or love people. Why you do something affects the way you do something. Why you do something affects the way you do something. Some of you are like, are, are still like, all right, this motives thing, it's so hard though, Jesse, it's so intense. It's actually not really. It's, it's really easy to understand. Can everybody say with me, say the word gold. gold. Now say the word digger. digger. Gold digger. Gold digger. Why you do something affects the way you do something. When you're, when you're just loving, how do you feel when somebody's nice to you just to get something out of you? How do you feel when somebody's good to you just because they want something from you? We have words for that. We have words for that. Gold digger, butt kisser, suck up, mercenary. We know that this doesn't work. We don't want anybody to treat us like this. And God doesn't want to be treated like this. God doesn't want to be treated like that. Just using him to make ourselves look good, using him to be blessed, using him to get what we want. And that's, and that's, that's what works always leads to. And how does someone act when they're just in it for the grade? How does, see, why you do something affects the way you do something. How does someone act when they're just in it for the grade? When they're just in it for the paycheck? See, when someone doesn't believe in something... When someone doesn't believe in something, they do the bare minimum. But when you really believe in something, you go above and beyond. When you don't believe in something, you do the bare minimum. When you're just in it for yourself, you do the bare minimum. How much can I get away with? 
What's how many? How many like? What time do I exactly have to show up to work? What time do I really need to arrive to not get fired to not get canned? Why you do something affects the way you do something. If you're doing it for a selfish reason, you'll do it in a selfish way. If you're doing it for a selfish reason, you'll do it in a selfish way. Eventually, motives will surface. Eventually, motives will show. If your only motive for morality is self-preservation, it'll just take a big enough problem or a big enough payday to get you to cave. If your motive for morality is self-preservation, it'll just take a big enough problem or a big enough payday to get you to cave, to get you to give in. And this isn't just my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches, but it's not even just what the Bible teaches. Scientific American says this. All right, Scientific American ran an article that said this. Most people think they are morally superior to everyone else. The study shows that people strongly believe that they are just, virtuous, and moral, and uniformly see others as inferior. People tend to rate themselves higher than others in the department of modesty. And that's where you all laugh, because that's funny. And it says that we're so high and mighty that we can feel entitled to commit immoral acts. We're so high and mighty, we can feel entitled to commit moral acts. It goes on and says that somebody in the study they found that someone who commits a moral act in the morning is likely to commit an immoral act in the afternoon. Moral licensing. What, what, what's the conclusion? Works don't work. Works make you worse. And uh, by the way, when Scientific American and the Bible are saying the same thing, you should probably pay attention. Works don't work. But Jesus said in Matthew 7.15, you will know them by their fruits. Fruit is good. Fruit is so good. Cantaloupe, papaya, maybe a mango. I wish I had a mango right now. Sometimes I wish I was a mango. I'd be delicious. He's talking about fruits. And this is such a helpful metaphor. Because good works are the sign of salvation, not the source of salvation. Faith is the root. Works are the fruit. Hey, does the fruit keep the tree alive? Is that apple like keeping the whole thing going? Really dependent on him? No. The tree keeps the fruit alive. And when you are alive in Christ, you will bear good fruit. But what we need to realize is we look around, we see the pretenders, the masqueraders, the false prophets, the ministers of Satan who are, who are pretending to be servants of righteousness, is that if their fruit isn't in Christ, then their root isn't in Christ. If their fruit isn't in Christ, then their root isn't in Christ. And that kind of goes back to that whole liberalism thing. Liberalism, where you go, God loves me, I can do whatever I want. God loves me, I can do whatever I want. Mark my words. Grace doesn't give you permission to sin. Grace gives you a new motivation to obey. Grace doesn't give you permission to sin. Grace gives you a new motivation to obey. Grace means that I obey out of faith and gratitude, not fear and guilt. Yeah. You get psyched about that. It transforms your motivations. It transforms your motivations. I don't obey to prove that I'm good. I obey because I believe God is good. And people come to me sometimes. They say, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out in the ministry. I'm burnt out of serving. I'm burnt out on this. But the reality is we burn out in ministry when we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. We burn out in ministry when we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You're trying to prove yourself. You're not getting enough recognition. You're not giving the, 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 the praise of people. Hey, and here's, here's the fact. 
When you're unsure if you have the approval of God, you become desperate for the approval of people. When you're not sure that you have, when you're not secure in the approval of God, you become desperate for the approval of people. Ministry is exhausting when you're trying to prove that you're good. But ministry is exhilarating when you believe that God is good. Ministry is exhausting when you're trying to prove that you're good. Ministry is exhilarating when you believe that God is good. All right, we've come to the best part. And you're like, Jesse, I'll be the judge of that. We'll see if we've come to the best part. Well, this is what I think the best part is. My, my, I'll, I'll run through back through the points for you because I feel like, a, well, I've, I've heard that the best teachers repeat themselves. I've heard that the best teachers repeat themselves. I've heard, no. First thought was don't let the fakes keep you from the real Christ. Our second thought was that the fakes do the right things for the wrong reasons. Our third thought was that the why you do something affects the way you do something. And then fourth thought is that when you remember that Jesus loves you in spite of your wrong motives, he becomes your motive. When you remember that Jesus loves you in spite of your wrong motives, he becomes your motive. We've all done right things for wrong reasons. We, we've, we've showed up to the charity, but we're just in it for ourselves. We're, we're, we're helping the poor, but we're hoping that people will look. We, we've, we've been nice to that boss or worked hard at the job just because we want the promotion. We've all done it. We've all done right things for wrong reasons. And we've all done wrong things for no reason. We've all minimized God and mistreated people. We've all minimized God and we've mistreated people. And some of you are going, oh my gosh. How, 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 do I, how am I ever... And you're spinning right now. You're like, how am I ever going to do everything with the right motive? How am I possibly ever going to start doing everything with good motives? Like, okay, I'm a fraud. I'll admit it. I, 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 apparently, Jesse, I'm a fake because I have been doing things with wrong motives. I have been showing up to church out of obligation. I have been doing it just to make my wife happy I, I, or, or, or any number of things. I mean, I probably have wrong motives for preaching this sermon, if I'm being honest. Like, like we all have wrong motives, but that's the point. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can. In verse 2, Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. In other words, he's essentially saying this when you, when you read the next verse, the one that we've been studying about uh, a false Jesus, a false gospel, a false spirit, is this. To trust in anything other than Jesus is to commit spiritual adultery. To trust in anything other than Jesus is to commit spiritual adultery. Let me tell you a story. It's a true story about a Cam Cambodian woman named Bofa. Cambodian woman named, named Bofa. And she became so deeply indebted that she lost her home and she turned in desperation to a life of prostitution. She turned to a life of prostitution out of complete desperation. But an anonymous donor heard her story and paid off all of her debts and provided her money so that she could start a sewing machine business. And Bofa said this. She said, I feel like I've been reborn. Through their donations, my life can begin again. Jesus paid your debt so that you could be reborn. When you were sinning against him, he was saving you. When you were cheating on Him, He was chasing you. When you were unfaithful to Him, He was faithful to you. And you can't do anything to make God love you less. 
And you can't do anything to make God love you more. He had a plan to save you before the foundations of the world. He had a way to make you right before you ever went wrong. And when you remember that Jesus loves you in spite of your wrong motives, He becomes your motive. Can we clap for that? When you remember that Jesus loves you in spite of your wrong motives, He becomes your motive. Jesus loves me even though I worship idols. And that makes me want to worship Him. Jesus loves me even though I worship idols. And that makes me want to worship Him. It's something so simple, I can explain it to my four-year-old. I tell my four-year-old this, I say, Jesus loves you even though you're bad. But that's going to make you good. Jesus loves you even when you're bad, but that's going to make you good. So we'll go back through the points one more time. Don't let fake Christians keep you from the real Christ. Fakes do right things for wrong reasons. Why you do something affects the way you do something. The best part, the the gospel, (laughs) when you remember that Jesus loves you in spite of your wrong motives, He becomes your motive. And then finally, is your account verified? Is your account verified? Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and he says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, I think it's interesting. He doesn't say, examine yourself to see if you're keeping all the rules. He doesn't say, examine yourself to see if you're doing better than the person next to you. He says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. See, Christians don't obey God to prove that they're good. They obey God because they believe that He is good. And you can ask yourself right now, does worship seem like a joy and not a chore? Is serving something you do out of obligation rather than as an opportunity? Do you feel like following God and loving people is a burden rather than a blessing? If so, you might be following the wrong account. You might be following the wrong account. But tonight, you can start following the real Jesus. And I'll tell you what, Christians don't obey God because they have to. Christians obey God because they trust Him and they want to. And when you start following the real Jesus, and you start seeing what He's posting, and you start seeing what He's saying, it's going to be a dude, it's going to be a delight and not a duty. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that these truths would resonate within us that we'd realize that if we try to obey the Bible without remembering the gospel, we'll just become Pharisees. Help us to see that, God. Help us to not live with anxiety inside of us. You don't want that for us. Help us to not live with superiority inside of us, thinking that we're better than everybody else, looking down on everybody else. Jesus, help us to see how good you are that you loved us when we were at our worst, but that enables us to be our best. As everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation. Maybe tonight something clicked for you. It's kind of like, you know, playing Tetris where all the pieces finally fell into place and and it clicked. Maybe tonight something clicked for you. The gospel became real to you tonight. I want to give you the opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to receive him. The Bible says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Salvation is a gift you receive, not something you achieve. But you've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. If I set you a friend request, and you never hit accept, and you never hit decline, the relationship could never begin. 
you'd have to accept the friend request. And Jesus is sending you a friend request tonight. He's offering to be your savior, offering to change your world, offering to give you a new reason, a, a, a new motivation for living, to give you purpose, to give you joy, to give you abundant life here and eternal life hereafter. But you have to receive him. Would you be honest enough just to slip your hand up and do that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. Why do I do it on the count of three? Because the more you procrastinate, the easier it becomes to procrastinate. Now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. If you want to receive Jesus, if you want to block the imposters and follow the real thing, would you just raise your hand up? One, Jesus, he died for you. Two, he is risen from the dead. He's able to rescue you. Three, would you just raise your hand up? Awesome. See some hands going up around the room. Maybe you've been a religious person. You've been doing the right things all the time, but you've been doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Would you just raise your hand up? See some hands going up. It's just an act of honesty. You're just saying, I need help. It's, it's like in school. You go, teacher, I need help. That's what you're doing. You're just saying, God, I need help. I saw some more hands right here in the middle. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up saying, I need Jesus. I want to get real. I want to get right. It's amazing. Well, the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to get on a karma payment plan. You don't have to figure it out. Jesus figured it out for you. You just got to call out to him. We're going to do that right now. Maybe the whole church can just do it to support them. We can just pray this out loud together. It's almost like wedding vows. You're just talking to God. You're calling out to him. You're just repeating what I say after me, just like at a wedding. You repeat the wedding vows. Just say this out loud to God. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done my own thing. And it's a dead end. I've done right things for wrong reasons. And I've done wrong things for no reason. But I believe you paid my debt. I believe you're risen from the dead. Would you be my savior? Would you be my Lord? In Jesus name. Amen. Can we go crazy in here? What binds us together is devotion to worshiping our Heavenly Father, dedication to studying His Word, and determination to proclaim our eternal hope in Jesus Christ.